0: Today
1: on Semi-Intellectual Musings.
0: Phil and I are still recovering from landscaping. We delve into
1: hockey cards by reminiscing of 1991-92.
0: And I might have become a Nashville Predators fan.
1: And some people might still miss you, PK.
0: Woman, woman, tell me your name. Let me. How do you want to start this? Um, when we do talk about hockey cards, do you yeah. want to um, Do you want to talk about the playoffs at all? Have you been following the playoffs? I haven't really
1: been following the playoffs. Man,
0: it's like the one of two channels that we get. So like, yeah. it's like every night is hockey night in uh, St. Laurent for Matt <laughs> and the crew. Oh, that's okay. awesome. So um, we'll. Uh, are you hitting record yet? Oh, uh, we're recording. Now. We're recording? Yeah, cool. we're, ma- we're making a podcast, man. Dude, I'm still recovering from that landscaping. It was tiring hard work it uh it looks good out there like we can't see any green coming up yet because it's only been like two days yep. but the weather looks perfect for it it's like this soft misty kind of british columbia rain kind of like a rainforest-y rain foresty rain it's know? been misting for like a day and a half now it's good uh but
1: i like so i'm sore from the landscaping but the black flies were <sighs> intense
0: Yeah. I was telling my buddy from back home last night, I was talking to him, um, that if a local, somebody who is raised in either Ontario or Quebec, complains about black flies, they're particularly bad. And like, here's something I learned as a West Coaster out here uh, transplanted. Um, black flies, uh, live in dirt. So when we were just raking the ground, it would just swarm. It would be like, at the start, it would be like five or something that is just, that's just sort of common here. Yeah. Yeah. And then you would rake the dirt and all of a sudden it would go like 50 and they and were hungry. It just would come out. Yeah.
1: My arms are like Eaten to the bone, pretty much. It's uh,
0: it's pretty bad, dude. My knuckles, like, like in between oh, and right too. on the knuckles, yeah. Um, and blackfly is like for those who are lucky enough not to know uh, how they operate, because my buddy Dave, like, we don't have them on the West Coast, no, right no. So this has been a new exp- painful experience for me. Um, they will attack like vulnerable spots. They're yeah. like they're real jerks. Oh, and, yeah, and they'll go at your the corner of your eyes, inside your ear up your nose like anything I, I, that's yeah. exposed.
1: I swallowed a whole bunch of, like so you reached <laughs> I
0: swallowed a couple too. I uh, thought I was only the only one. I inhaled
1: no. one too. <laughs> yeah, like you reached your limit uh probably near the end of the day on mm. Saturday. I reached my limit uh Sunday just before putting
0: down the seed. Like I was, you were, you were cracking though, man, I, with me. Like there was times where you're just like jumping out of the Bobcat and like, you're just like, no, 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 no. no. And we just like go over to like the little, uh, the driveway and yeah. you just follow you. And just got to, I had,
1: yes, like uh Sunday I had to go inside maybe five or six times. And I just went and like sat in the basement quiet and just like compose myself. Cause it, they were driving <laughs> me nuts. And like, they make you feel dirty. Like, it wasn't particularly warm. So like we didn't really break like a big sweat, but having all those flies around you just makes you feel dirty. So like yesterday I took like three showers just to, you know, and, try and it, to And it's clean like, up.
0: it's like, like emotionally dirty. Like they, they, yeah. they hit you in your psyche, man, because yeah. they, they're persistent. They're angry. They bite and they're annoying. They get into you. So as Phil says, he had to go downstairs and compose himself in the yeah. basement. Like I, when I got home, I just got drunk, man. <laughs> like I, I, I stopped on the way home at a dépanneur, Yeah. Um, and, uh, the only French word that I could pronounce perfectly. <laughs> dépanneur. Or yeah. Um, oh yeah. dépanneur, dépanneur, yeah. dépanneur. Yeah. Um, it's a gas station that sells beer basically. Um, I, I grabbed a six pack of Molson X and, oh, uh, nice. yeah. And watched a hockey game. So
1: I've been really, so, uh, I,
0: I bought that Rolling Rock, um, as
1: like a little bit of an upgrade to the PBR that we would normally be drinking. Mm, mm. Like on, like when you're working outside, you just want kind of like a a crisp lager, right? Um, So like my experience with the Rolling Rock has either been from a keg uh, Mm. in Toronto, where it's like super crisp, super fresh, really good. It's
0: right out of the keg, right? Because that's
1: where it's it's brewed, right? It's Toronto. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Or it's been out of a bottle and it's tasted like flat and skunky, like not good. So when I saw the cans of it,
0: I thought, oh, let's give it a try. Man, I'm like, I'm on my third case of it now. It's, it's fantastic. It's great. And it, it's kind of weird because for me, I, I think the beers taste better out of a bottle. Like you have to get it nice and chilled down. You got to throw it in the freezer. But, um, um, that's one beer that tastes better out of a can. Yeah. Cause yeah. I've had the same experience with Rolling Rock where it's like, it's flat and it tastes like it sticks to the roof of your mouth. Yeah. But um yeah, those cans, man, it uh, part of it is because we were landscaping, but uh, <laughs> but they were pretty tasty.
1: It was uh, it was kind of a funny experience. So we got two, you know, social science nerds, geeks out there, uh staring down forty yards of topsoil, this kind of uh machine. So it was a skid steer, yeah. Kind of ex- like a explain, bop. Cat. Explain the whole ordeal. Okay. So what happened was um we had uh, torrential rains uh at the beginning of the spring and our front yard at the house that we bought last year has like kind of slopes. So the front yard slopes down into yep. like three different sections. Like tiers, right? Yeah, three yeah, tiers. tiers. Uh, one On one of those tiers is the septic tank. And then on uh, the lowest tier is the leach field. So having really bad erosion problems is, uh, you know, like a structural problem for the house. So it had to be fixed, had to be fixed this year, had to be fixed early this year. So I was looking at the weather. Kind of two days of nice weather and then followed by this week, which was rain. So I said, now's the perfect, perfect time to do it. So I got everything ready, ordered the the dirt. and I was like, oh my God, that's a lot of dirt.
0: Like, (laughs) There's no way I'm going to be able to do this with a wheelbarrow. So I, um. And, and for those who don't know, Phil's got like a pretty bad back, like legitimately, not just like one of those fake back injuries, but like he's legitimately got like ruptured discs or some sort of discs. Yeah. Like few spines. I don't know. But so he was the backhoe operator because Captain Concussion over here, I don't think I would even certify myself to drive I, a Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they was... take it very seriously. So Phil had to like sign these, uh, yeah. forms and like not have any beers when he was driving yeah. the, the, what is it? Uh, I call them Bobcats. It's like one of those little, like, they look like little tanks with a shovel in the front. Yeah. yeah.
1: It, like Bobcat, I think is like the brand name, like yeah, Kleenex yeah. or, uh, what's exactly. the other one? Uh, whatever. Q-tip. Q-tip. There you go. Um. <laughs> But yeah, they're basically Skid Steers, uh runs on kind of two joysticks, that mm. uh, has a bucket loader in the front, uh, can turn on a dime. Um it wasn't so I went for uh so okay. When you're ordering something like this, uh being the kind of nerdist guy that I am, I'm gonna go with a company who promotes on their website exactly what you're gonna get. So I went and I looked at three or four different companies. And the company said, "Well, you order the category. Order a category of loader. Well, I don't know what I'm going to get. It's going to be this huge monster of a thing, and I'm going to be too scared to drive it. it. Might be too small, and then it's not going to work. Yeah. And but, when
0: you're when you're operating that side sort of machinery, even if it's a small bobcat or whatever, um, you can't drive scared. Like that's when you no, that's yeah. when you tip it. That's yeah. when you go too fast or whatever, yeah. or too tentative because exactly, you can tip yeah. those if you just start hitting the brakes like crazy.
1: Yeah." So anyway, I went with a company um, a little bit further away than I would have liked. Uh, So they weren't really local, local, Um, but on their website, you could select exactly which model of the machine that you were going to get. So I went with them. I selected my model that had it delivered, you know, no questions asked. It was here. It was great. Um, The guy showed me how to use it super easy. And I had had experience using those working on farms and that kind of stuff. So, like, I sat in it and I I, I felt at ease, like,
0: right away. Mm. Uh, so, I got to work with it. We moved 40. 40- you fucking rocked it, man. I was, like, very impressed. As Phil says, for a couple of social scientists, like, I was just manning a shovel in a rake. Phil was just, like, bombing around in this bobcat and then jumping out with black flies in our face. And we, I don't know how many hours it was. Like, it felt like we were going for, like, six, seven hours or something like this. Like, I, yeah. we started at, like. 10, yeah. 30 maybe, and yeah. ended at like 5.30. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh God, I got to get home. I yeah. left out the whole day. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I had a blast, man. Um, explain uh, what you planted and like how you, how you're going to set up this front yard. Yeah. Just so
1: kind of I redid the slopes, uh, redid the leach field. Uh, we put- uh, Like with topsoil. With topsoil. Yeah. Uh, I redid kind of the, the oh, structural explain, slopes. Explain that paper method for yeah, people. So, yeah. um, so basically I redid the slopes, redid the leach field. um And what we did on the flat parts was we put down, so I had tilled it the week before. So I rented just a rototiller and uh, I had tilled it. And then uh, we put down um, a heavy gauge brown paper. And it's the paper that you use uh, when you're installing wood floors. So it's, it's, yeah, it's called paper underlay. So you put it on your floors and you put your wood floors over top of it. But it, basically the idea is you want to put that down and then put the topsoil down on top of it. And it smothers all the the weeds or prohibits the the weed seeds from germinating. So what you get is kind of like a lasagna method of gardening. Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, you know, it's the most unappetizing lasagna I've ever seen. Yeah, you're, um, you don't want to eat that. But. And like a couple of tips, uh, this is the step that we always forgot. Uh, you wet the uh, paper before you put the topsoil. You got to wet the paper. You'd be in the bobcat, and I'd be like, no, no, no wait, 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 and I'd just like make like a what I thought was a hose sort of like gesture, but yeah. it probably looked a little phallic. But it, anyway.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, when two men go out to do yard work,
0: uh, there's a lot of phallic gestures <laughs> that were happening that day, Matt. You had to. Um, that and uh, also we popped some uh, holes in it with a shovel. And, yeah. And uh, thinking that that might keep it like bedded down because the whole issue, the reason we're doing all this is to stop the erosion at your yeah, house. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, um
1: choice of sod or seed or whatever I went seed uh, and I kind of did it in multiple um, segments. So the segments on a slope, I put down a wildflower and native grass uh, mix Um, on the flat parts. um, I put down a mix of white clover and with a little bit of uh, creeping fescue.
0: Now, why I did that. Okay. And and fescue grass is just like at the British Open. That's uh, something I learned to uh, help and fail. Thick I'm looking blade. at that. I'm like, oh, I got to take my sandwich out of that. Yeah. It's not, it's not like the, uh,
1: the nice manicured putting area. It's like the, the, the rough, tall kind of thick blade grass. Mm. Um, so why I went with the, the clover. So clover lawns, they're kind of trendy right now for a couple of reasons. Drought tolerant. Uh, so it requires less water in like middle of the summer. Very, very easy to grow. So white clover will start sprouting in two, three days and you'll have, uh, you know, a two inch, three inch lawn in maybe a week, week and a half. Um, then you want to cut it and then you don't cut it again all summer. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of one of these low maintenance, very easy things. And grass grows with it, right? That's something else I learned as well, right? It injects nitrogen into ah. this soil that um, will fix your soil conditions to allow your fescue in my case, to grow healthy. Mm. So they kind of work together. So ideally how it's going to work is on the slopes, wildflowers with wild grasses. Those have really deep roots, hold the dirt on the slopes. On the flat parts, clover uh, with some fescue, have a lawn. You know, I don't, we're out in the country. I don't really care if there's some weeds that get in there, but with the paper, I think we're going to be pretty good.
0: I, I just thought of this. Um The clover is going to attract like hello amounts of deer. huh? Yeah? Yeah. Like you're going to okay have deer in your front yard sure. and you and Ainsley and the, uh, the wife will just be sitting there looking out the just watch window. watch the deer. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, uh, and this morning when Matt came over, we were outside having a coffee and, uh, we almost got knocked on their
0: noggins by a hummingbird that, uh, had, had come by. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a bat or something. And then it just like hovered and looked at us for a second. And it was like, no, those aren't flowers. And he just yeah, went and around then the just corner. Went away, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of neat.
1: Um but uh I want to welcome everyone to the podcast. Uh this is Semi-Intellectual Musings. It's a podcast that explores social sciences, humanities and arts. Um it is co-hosted by myself, Philip Primo, and Matt Sanderson. Um you know, as you can tell, we we don't take ourselves too seriously. We talk about a variety of topics. One of the things that this podcast tries to accomplish is to bring the published world, the world of books, in conversation with um you know, our daily lives. Uh, our commitment to you is that, um, we give you our honest opinions, uh, always. And, uh, we do that. We, we do the show through book reviews. Uh, we've had some interviews like we had on, uh, an anarchist. Uh, we had on, uh, a humanitarian. Like an
0: Aristotelian, uh, logistician. L- l- logician. <laughs> he was also married to Phil. <laughs> yeah. Married to me. Stuck with me. The, the, that's a logical fallacy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like uh, th- the show pretty much tries to accomplish
0: uh, those things and we
1: do it in kind of a whimsical sort of way.
0: Yeah, I um, I always think on the way over here, like, what am I going to say in this little part of our intro? Um, it dawned on me when I was talking to my buddy last night, I want to try to make this podcast something that makes not only the social sciences, but the wider academic world, uh, more accessible to people who, whether they went to university and just like maybe a computer, uh, degree like my friend or did not go to university, but spend their time thinking about stuff. And like, I think we're all kind of academics. If you just are listening to podcasts and walking around thinking about shit. So that's what I want our podcast to be. I want it to make you think about shit. Yeah. And Matt and I uh, try to make connections between that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're Um, connecting the shit.
1: We're connecting the shit. Uh, You know, I think typically we're going to refer to the bookshelf and we're going to refer to published works. Mm. Um, I think Matt and I both value peer review quite highly. Mm. So, you know, most often than not, the stuff that we're going to recommend has been peer reviewed, Mm -hmm. but we're also going to do some fun uh, segments where we talk about uh, less academic stuff and, you know, Connect the
0: ideas together. Yeah, like this uh, this episode where we're going to talk about uh, Phil's hockey card collection, which I'm so excited to do, oh, and I know a lot of my buddies back home. It's are gonna, waiting to hear. It's going to be a fun like one. This, yeah. So yeah,
1: looking forward to it. So. Um, but if you have ideas for episodes, or if you want to get into contact with us, you can reach us on Twitter. And we are at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. That's at the SimPod. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website is thesim.podbean.com. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Please uh, leave us some ratings and reviews. Uh, We're looking at you, -er. (laughs) Daver. Thanks for for that. Um, It really helps the show. You know, um, out there, there's a lot of stuff about podcasting, and everyone's saying you have to get into the iTunes new and news. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, new, new, and new and noteworthy. note-worthy or new yeah. and new, noteworthy section, and all this kind of stuff. We're asking you for uh, reviews and your comments to make the show better. You know, I, I don't really, at this point, I don't really care if if uh, we make those we lists. Make that. No. What, what What we care about is making a quality podcast that interests you stuff that
0: you know resonates with your daily life um and we want to continue doing that yeah and get in early these are some of the early episodes so this is where we're most open to your feedback and when we get 100 episodes in we're going to be like old grumpy men
1: well we're already kind of old and grumpy (laughs) i'm getting
0: crusty (laughs) those black fly crust (laughs) we're a little bit less grumpy right now um okay
1: well do you have anything else to add Matt? no man let's get on with the show keep your stick on the ice Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, thanks for staying with us. Um, we're joined by my hockey card collection today. <laughs> I'm very excited to uh, dig into this, Phil. So, I'll explain um, what's kind of sitting in front of us. Um, It's not all my cards, but it's uh, the majority of them. Uh, Three binders, some Beckett, some boxes of hockey cards. And Matt and I wanted to to kind of uh, talk around the idea of collecting hockey cards, the economics of hockey cards. Uh, And I think we're going to crack open a few of the binders, maybe some of the boxes, and just kind of look through them.
0: For sure. Um, And I think the dates here, it looks like they're like 1989 to like 92, 93 kind of range. And then like... Older, is that what we're looking
1: at? Yeah, there's uh there, there there's some older ones. Um I think there's actually some stuff uh in the mid two thousands. There's definitely nothing after two thousand six or seven.
0: Okay. So when did you start watching hockey and collecting hockey cards, Phil? Uh
1: well, watching hockey probably started um, you know, the day after I was born. <laughs> I I would imagine that I it's was a, literally the TV. a birthright in Canada. Um I started collecting hockey cards. Okay. So most of my hockey cards comes from an uncle on my father's side. So one of my father's brothers, he owned a convenience store in Ormstown, Quebec.
0: Oh, that's such a crazy hookup having uh, a relative that owns a convenience store.
1: Well, exactly. And he collected a lot of cards and I got a lot of cards from him because he sold them at the store. Uh, So the majority of my stuff from 89, 91, 92 um, comes from him. I have a couple binders that were his collection. Uh, now he had an extensive, like huge collection, like where I'm talking like over 200,000 cards. Oh, wow. Um, and that stayed, uh, with his children on that side of the family. Um, but over years, you know, he would come by, drop off a box or two, drop off a, you know, a binder. Uh, I think it was mostly the doubles that he would give me, mm. uh, w- which was like really nice. And I have like, you know, these very particular memories about opening packages of hockey cards, taking out the gum.
0: Oh, wow, the gum, yeah. I, if...
1: I think it was the OP cheese that came with
0: gum. Yeah, yeah, and some... um like shitty baseball card companies would come with the gum and the gum was like really the worst like if you've never experienced it it's as bad as you imagine it's like it sharded up into like literally like gum glass and would cut the inside of your um cheek or the roof of your mouth you could chew it probably as long as it took
1: you to quickly flip through the five or seven cards that were in the pack and then you had to spit it out
0: and then like you would as soon as you got it into a chewable state the flavor's gone
1: Oh, there was no flavor involved. Like even at the beginning it was just like sugar. It kinda almost tasted like um like a powdered jello, maybe. It tasted like a chemical bath.
0: Like after you spit it out, your mouth would be like dry for some reason. Oh yeah, like you got the pasties, yeah. like oh, it was bad. <laughs> um
1: so I remember doing that and I remember sitting on my bed in the basement of of, of a house that we lived in with a friend, uh just you know, rifling through an opening like pack after pack after like opening mm-hmm. like hundreds of packs per day. Um, I'm not sure that's the experience of kids today, but, um,
0: you know, I could be wrong. So, um, what year, like, how old were you? Like, I must've
1: been probably 10, 12.
0: 10. Yeah. That's the, the those are the money years for uh, card collecting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, so like, I don't know, I'll just tell them briefly. Like, so very similar story. This is like, um made in Canada kind of stories that we have. Like every Canadian has the same sort of story where you, by the age of like 10, you start collecting hockey cards and you start following a team and looking at statistics and things. So I was that age in like 1990 and 91. And then I was lucky because I'm from British Columbia. Uh, The Canucks made a Stanley Cup uh, run in 1993. And that's where like my hockey fandom like just became solidified. And then the Canucks like sucked for another like eight years after that.
1: Yeah, I was a, I was a Montreal Canadiens fan. Yeah, and Quebec um,
0: Nordiques, I imagine, right? And, and the Nordiques.
1: Yeah. Um, so the story behind my love of the Canadians really stems not from my birthplace, but stems from one player in particular, and you could probably guess who that was. I'm
0: guessing it's Patrick Roy. It was Patrick Roy.
1: Um, absolutely adored him. Um, childhood, you know, best player by far
0: you know did you follow him to uh Colorado no oh wow because that's the that's for those you don't know um the loyalty that Montreal Canadiens fans have to their own team once a player leaves they don't follow him like in Vancouver like like I followed Kirk McLean to every like all of the five teams he went to after the Canucks uh after Corey Hirsch ran him out of town um but yeah no I I, that's funny um so I was so
1: obsessed with WAP that, um, so I was a goaltender, uh, growing up playing hockey. I had Patrick pads. So the, the red, blue and white pads, the, so his older style. Yeah, those are um, sick.
0: The Montreal Canadiens colors are like some of the best in professional sports. I think.
1: The first real, uh, blocker and trapper that I got, we're looking at a picture on great goalies from 1997.
0: They're the Coho's, eh?
1: They are those, the exact ones, um, you know the the red with the white uh i had the coho white and red stick i had patrick was uniform down
0: and you i guess were number 33 i was number 33 uh everywhere was I there played. fist fights on the team like between you and the backup goalie uh, as to who was going to get to be 33
1: um no uh no
0: <laughs> just no discussion there's just no discussion
1: <laughs> um so so what happened uh ninety two ninety three season, uh Hua, you know, pisses off management. Mm-hmm. Um, they keep him in uh and uh it, it's one of these unforgettable nights, regardless of mm-hmm. what's going on in your life. But that night, uh that Patrick Hua let in, you know, I think it was eleven goals, by the eighth or the ninth goal, um, you know, sitting on the floor watching this, um, we get a phone call and it uh and it's from um I believe my um, my aunt, so my mother's uh, sister. We we get a phone call. My grandfather from my my maternal side has passed away.
0: Oh dear, I'm sorry.
1: And uh, he was a really kind on of, the night of the shelling. On the night, wow! So I lost my childhood hockey f- star and my grandfather on the same night.
0: Um, would you like watch hockey with your grandpa?
1: Yeah, we would watch okay. hockey. He would uh, smoke a lot of pipe tobacco oh, and i remember the my smell. grandpa
0: would too yeah that's a that's a fond like memory yeah. smell memory he had a
1: great boat uh that
0: he built himself out of cherry wood i
1: remember that um i was young so i don't remember a lot about him but i remember him just being you know an all-around great great guy and um you know someone who i really uh you know looked up to um so that night was really kind of um in french we say marquin like it was uh, it was really uh it was important in in mm-hmm. my in my formative yeah. years. Yeah, formative. Um, and the following, I would say maybe a week later, uh, the 33 was stripped off of my of my jersey. So after um, Hua got traded, it was stripped off, uh, and I supported uh, a number 30 goaltender. Who's that? Uh, well, we're looking at a Beckett from
0: 1998. Who who who's that, Matt? Martin Bartheur. Martin Brodeur, <laughs> and, and when I wrote the note down, I was writing down Baudieu, who's a famous uh, French sociologist. Yeah. Um, um, and the following season, uh, my pads
1: became no longer cohos, they became Heatons. <laughs> and uh, I had the Heaton stick and the Heaton, and my mask even resembled uh, Brodeur's mask. And I just changed goalies over, uh, you know, a course of maybe a couple months completely.
0: <laughs> That's so funny.
1: Um, I, I was also a much better goaltender. Uh, I'm gonna say, yeah. After you got the Heatons, yeah, well, it could have been part of growing up, and it could have been also not following Hua as a goaltender. Oh, so you
0: think Brodeur was a better all-around goalie than Hua? I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to get into that's this crazy debate. because he's just about to have a debate with himself. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs>
1: I've you know, this has been I don't know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years since I've thought about this stuff, and it's still tearing me. <laughs> You know, who was the better goalie, Juan or Bradar? I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, man. Like, uh, Martin Broder is crazy. I always appreciated him. He had a really long career. Um, I always followed goalies. Like, I was always intrigued by the position. I always wanted to be a goalie. Um, And there is, like, we're just cracking open the first book here. And right, like, top left-hand corner, right on the front page, is, Phil might have to help me with the pronunciation, but this really kind of famous story, uh, Mer... Has, just uh, say the name.
1: Manon Rayom.
0: Manon Rayom. Rayom. Right? Rayom. Yeah. Rayom. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us about her. Uh, well, uh,
1: first female goaltender to play in the NHL. I believe uh, she played an exhibition game.
0: Yeah, the preseason game. Yeah.
1: Um, drafted, uh, I believe, from the Knights, uh, Los Angeles Knights. Oh, wow. Okay. Um so for some reason, um, you know, I'm looking at the very first page in the binder that I put together. Mm-hmm. Probably the last time I looked at this was, uh, 96 and, uh, she is, uh, I got three of her cards, uh, maybe four. And, uh, it's like the first row of the cards. Um.
0: Yeah. You have, uh, let's see, one, two, uh, three, four actually. And one yeah. is like a, a pretty saucy little picture of her carrying her hockey bag out, uh, out yeah. on like, it looks like a docks or something yeah and uh, i think
1: the uh the pictures on the behind the the, the cards of her like getting dressed and that kind of stuff they definitely um tried to play up her yeah. fact that she's female
0: yeah because she was um drafted by the lightning right because that's I, I remember this i remember the game i remember actually distinctly watching this game it was a bit of a like it was like a kind of like a jackie robinson moment yeah, in, yeah. in some way um but it was the tampa bay lightning who were maybe only in the league for like a year or two before that. Um, and they started uh, Mer- the, the goalie. Manoveo, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and uh, I don't know, man. I remember her getting shelled in yeah, like one it, wasn't, period, a, it like, wasn't a good game. Like six goals. But then I was like, when um, we were thinking about doing this episode, like that was the first name that popped into my head. And I did a little Google image search of her because I remember she was kind of attractive. Um, and uh, looking at her pads, they're just like tiny, and you forget back in the '90s, goalie pads were like so small, small yeah. and the styles were different. These guys are all stand-up goalies. So, like, I would, I would be remiss not to mention my favorite goalie, Kirk McLean. Yeah,
1: uh, Kirk McLean. Kirk yeah. McLean.
0: Uh, anyone who knows me knows that Kirk McLean, Captain Kirk, is my goalie. He's the goalie that took the Canucks on their uh, Stanley Cup run in 1993, um, and he was like classic stand-up goalie. He was like one of the last stand-up goalies. Um, really good glove side, an amazing stick handler. Um I love Captain Kirk, man.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking at this and I it's probably because I was a goalie and I was interested in goalies. Um but the first uh, what is it? 3 4 pages of the binder are basically all goalies. Dude, the first
0: 5 pages of the, the binder pages, like
1: front and back as well. So yeah, I don't know how many cards that is. It's probably about 50 60 goalie cards and um I don't know. There, there there's some there's some interesting like uh
0: Trevor Kidd uh I got some Trevor Kid in there. T- Trevor Kid with his awesome pads, eh? I remember yeah. those flame pads. Like he was one of the first like kind of um marketable flashy goalie cuz he wasn't like that good, but he had all like really cool pads and really cool paint jobs and stuff.
1: Oh, I see uh Mano Real was actually the Atlanta Knights. Oh, the uh, Atlanta yeah, Knights. That makes no, sense. I guess the LA Knights is that new NHL expansion team that's coming No,
0: that's Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Yeah, Knights? and I believe yeah. they're called the Golden Knights. Oh, the Golden Knights, right? Which is kind of gross. Um oh dude, uh Darren Pupa oh, for yeah, the Sabres. Yeah. Uh that's my buddy Chris's uh, one of his favorite goalies. I think he just likes the name. Uh Grant mm-hmm. Fuhr, uh Mike Vernon. Oh dude, back up Bob Essensa. Uh he had um like a magical like three quarters of a season with the Canucks where every time we would play him, um he would just perform really well and like the crowd would start chanting like back up Bob, back up Bob. Oh, and awesome. he just loved it, man. Him and Archers Urbe, Sean Burke, um, Corey Hirsch, Kirk McClain, Kay Whitmore. Like, I can just list off all the Canucks goalies. It's it's amazing. And, like, it's interesting, like, when you look at a guy's um, – or a person's hockey card collection. Sorry, man. I just uh, closed the, the uh, right. binder, um, like, yeah. across the seam. Yeah, that was always yeah. brutal. Um, everybody organizes it a different way, and I think it's kind of fascinating to see how someone organizes it. And Phil was telling me that he hasn't, like, cracked these since, like – like 1998 or something like way back in the day. Right. Yeah. I haven't.
1: Uh, so I think I organize them, reorganize them.
0: I did too, man. Yeah. You know,
1: I think that's just something that you do. You kind of, um, play with them, I guess. Uh, but you know, the, the organizing of the, of the hockey cards are, you know, I think is like almost any collectible. Uh, you want to collect them, you want to preserve them, but you also need that tactile experience with them of feeling them, touching them, you know, making sure the corners aren't bent, making sure they go into the sleeves. You know, what's in binders are in card sleeves. Mm. And uh, there's something about the smell of hockey cards that never quite goes away. It's this lingering kind of cardboard smell. Um, some of the cards in there are newer, mid-2000s, and they're like this plastic sort of thick plastic.
0: Yeah. They're tactically like different. and They don't break down like the old ones do. And part of the value of hockey cards, like when you'd, um, I checked with uh, Phil, but we would always just call them Beckett's, but they're like these, these books and magazines where they would tell you the market value of various years, hockey cards. And, they would see if it's in good condition, excellent condition, or, like, fair condition. Yeah. And fair condition would be, like, like really messed up, a little rip in it or something. Good condition would be, like, fuzzy corners, I remember, was the thing. Fuzzy corners. And then uh, excellent condition is, like, those psychopaths, probably, like, me and Phil, who had, like, different types of boxes and, like, uh, and plastic sleeves and things like this. I, I took it very seriously, my ordering. And I was very particular. It was one of the only times in my life where I was very like ordered in particular was when it came to hockey and baseball cards,
1: I find it really interesting that you know Matt and I both did this with hockey cards, baseball cards, et cetera, and we gravitated towards academic fields in which our data is meticulously ordered as well mm. you know i I hadn't thought about this until going down to the basement and retrieving these um but the way I organize my archives when I do my history work is very similar to how I organized hockey cards. Uh, organize it kind of thematically. Um, I have other binders that are organized by date, uh, mm-hmm. but some of it is organized thematically. Some of it is organized just because there's a qualitative sense to the card that I liked. You know, like I'm, I'm looking at, uh, what is it, three or four pages in, and there's this great kind of black and white uh, card. Comes, uh, It's a pro set, yeah. and we can get into pro sets yeah. later, um, but I believe it comes from like a box of fish sticks. Who's that on the front? Uh, Terry Sawchuck. Yep. And uh, without even having a name, I'm just, so it's uh, this famous kind of picture of him uh, with the flyers, uh, no mask, the the puck is kind of flying. Or the
0: Red Wings, sorry. The Red Wings, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and
1: right um, yeah, so um, like w- why that one's there and not with the other kind of cheapy cards. And and
0: it's it's funny too, because it's like right under a Tom Barrasso, uh, tops card. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like next to a Mike Vernon. Yeah. Oh, uh, and Archer's Zerbe. That's when, uh, he played for the Kansas city blades. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's like, is
1: even before it gets in the NHL. So like, you know, I think the ways in which we organize things sometimes uh, is just because we like the way it looks because it's there. Other times it's much more rational. So like by years,
0: Dude, this guy's got an OPG uh, super rookie card of Sergei Fedorov that I just flipped over. And then at the top of the um, page, it's uh, Pavel Bure's pro set rookie card. Uh, yeah. And, and then, then this crazy upper deck one, um, Mike Recky. A Mike Recky super rookie.
1: You know, oh, at one point, Jim Sacco. <laughs> at one point in my life, um, I traded them, but I'm going to say that I wasn't the biggest trader.
0: No, I was uh, more of a hoarder. Like I really liked the organizing and the trying to get value. Actually, I I I liked um, scamming people, but it was more like I'd get together with a buddy and we would just like sit together and organize our hockey cards yeah and like if you had doubles, you'd trade away the doubles, yeah, you know, but that's about it like
1: yeah I and for some reason, I never really cared about the monetary price of cards. Mm. It was more uh the players, if I knew them
0: uh the if the picture was nice did the, you ever sorry, this is just out of the blue, but did you ever go to like one of those card like expos, like comic book sort of like sales? How yeah, many times yeah. did you go? Um, like I only went like once or twice. Yeah, once
1: or twice. However, I did do, it strike
0: you as a weird environment? It struck me as a very like I'm like Ugh, yeah, I, wanna, I don't want to turn out to be like these yeah, <laughs> it's,
1: it, it, they're a little weird. I do find that when I when I'm visiting my brother, um, and my godson, um, in Toronto, mm. and we go uh, to the market. Uh, there's a market that we go to, and they have kind of these stalls that are set up. Yeah, uh, yeah. one of them is, um, or actually, there's a couple that are trading cards, collectibles, oh, memorabilia. So great. I always find myself going in and wondering, you know, if I brought in my collection, what would, what would happen? Mm-hmm. And a few years ago I asked, I said, okay, you know what? I have a complete upper deck, 1991, 1992, yeah. mint condition. How much would you give for me? So it goes, eh, well, uh, yeah,
0: uh, uh, 15 bucks. 15? $15. So, okay. there is something that happened. I, I don't remember the date. It seemed like mid Two thousands, perhaps, but like Pro Set was um, like the mid-range card. I feel like OPG and tops were like the lower-end cards. I feel like, and the upper-end cards are obviously upper deck, yeah, right? Yeah. Like those are the premium ones. So like we all had a lot of Pro Set because yeah. like that's the one that you can get like a couple of packs for like five bucks or something. Came in shiny
1: little tin, yeah, foil, yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. Because that's the only good thing about a Pro Set card. So Pro Set's value, like, just the bottom fell out, like. Maybe ten years ago, yeah. And now everybody's pro set cards are worthless. Like my best pro set card was a Patrick Waugh card when he played for the um, Montreal Canadiens. Um, but the back was written in French and the yeah. front was English. Yeah. Like it was a mistake it was card. A mistake card. Yeah. And it was worth um, in like 1996. It was worth 250 bucks. Yeah, 250 bucks. that one card. What is it worth now? Um, probably like fifty cents. Wow. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. So like my half of our card collections both of ours are like completely valueless right yeah but the value really from collecting cards is like the sentimental and the memories that are associated with it because like there's this one buddy of mine that i had from way back in the day and i and we lost touch when we were like 12 (laughs) um tom and he was like my hockey card friend and we just trade hockey cards and like do garage sales where we try to sell them off to the the neighborhood kids and stuff so
1: yeah, and I, I like, I had a friend like that as well, where it didn't really matter about the value, like the the monetary value of the card. Um, it just kind of mattered about you know sorting them out, um, just and, just kicking and, it, man. just <laughs> kicking it, looking at it. But there were definitely uh, some other peers, um, in school who, they
0: were all about yeah, they were the, the sharks. They were the sharks. They I was were, a bit of a shark man. I, I actually a confession, I was a bit of a shark. Yeah, yeah. I, I had like Beckett's for every year. And like, I would I go at it, man. Like most people thought I was going to be like an accountant or something oh, yeah. <laughs> at that time. And then I was like, I don't know what happened, man. But uh, just being from the West Coast, you just move away from that shit. <laughs> and
1: I, I remember um, when pinnacle cards became a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point that I kind of stopped collecting. First of all, they're very expensive. So, oh, like, were they?
0: Because I, I miss Pinnacle. I must have stopped. Like, I'm a couple of years older than Phil. So, like, I stopped collecting cards in, like, 1995. So, Pinnacle probably came out, like, what? Like, 97, 96, 98? 97, 98, yeah. around there. Yeah. Um, they, and they were the challengers to upper deck, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. huge challengers to upper deck. They they opened, they reopened up the market. So, I think, um, you know, around 95, 96, I could, I, I could be wrong. But Hockey Card, uh, you know, Advancement... Kind of went on the low. So Pinnacle came out and they started doing things like putting uh, snippets of jerseys and cards. Oh, um, crazy. They came out with like
0: signed cards in, in packs. Like almost like they became like real artifacts. Exactly. So yeah. they tried to. One coo- of a
1: kind. One of a kind. Yeah. Uh, and all like, uh, from my knowledge of Pinnacle, and you know, if there's anybody out there that can correct me, yeah. is that um, their cards were a lot more limited run than the mm. kind of upper decks, OP cheese. Um, yeah they or,
0: seem like like limited prints of like i mean there's only so much of a jersey you can cut up right like well, exactly. how many of those cards can you have right, and then you get one, and it would just be so exciting right. and do you think do you think that was pinnacle like of course, to challenging upper deck, which was the premium card at the time, but do you think they were trying to like make it more refined like and polished the art of uh collecting cards like thinking that like myself, where I gave up collecting cards when I was like fourteen, um Pinnacle was supposed to be there to like carry me into my late teen years of collecting cards cuz they it's they seem more adult, you know?
1: Yeah, they seemed a bit more adult. They were definitely more serious. Yeah, that's uh, it. So like yeah. all the cards that came out um like even if you looked at kind of the pictures of them, they were much more serious. Mm. Um like key moments in games, uh, key mm. milestones. Whereas when you looked at kind of like the upper decks and we're looking at some here. Yeah. It's just some dude uh, like
0: skating through the neutral zone or something. Maybe you get a guy hitting a slap shot like Joe Sacco here for the but, international like, one. you know, like what's that?
1: Like uh, being stopped by uh, a linesman
0: after an offside. Like, so they No, just, no. This guy is getting like broken up from a fight. <laughs> That's oh, okay. actually pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, no, they're just sort of like whatever. Like every single card in here, regardless of who makes them is just like some dude Coasting through the neutral zone, <laughs> like it's just they're not exciting at all. Yeah, no, Even Felix not. Potvin, like the goalie pictures are not of the goalie making a crazy save. It's just like Felix Potvin's in the ready position, looking at the guy at the left point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just could, nothing.
1: And and uh, that could be a practice shot. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's actually a pretty good. That's a pretty solid like goalie picture <laughs> by, by these standards.
1: <laughs> now, the other brand of hockey cards that I've never had a chance to um, to acquire are the Parkhursts. And the Parkhursts, um, Sorry, you know,
0: can I, what are they called? Parkhursts. Yep, Parkhurst. Yeah, Parkhurst. Um, oh, I would always see this in the Becketts, and you're like, "What are those?" Yeah, they must have only been in like America, maybe. Is well, that right? Or I don't know. Possibly.
1: I think you could probably get them in Canada. Oh, um,
0: Parkhurst, like yeah. P-A-R-K-H-U-R-S-T. Yeah, Parkhurst. Parkhurst. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would, I would see this every so often.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you go to the trading booths and that kind of stuff, they have these sorts of cards. And they're always kind of on display in like glass cases or th- this sort of thing. It's very, very rare that you'll see an OPG or an upper deck uh displayed in the same way.
0: Yeah, because there were so many of them, I guess. Because those are like the cards that you'd buy at like the corner store when you get a Slurpee or whatever, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like I have much more I guess you would call them pedestrian cards. Um And then thrown in are some of the cards that I traded. So I'm flipping to a page. This is a page of cards that I
0: traded for. Oh, cool. Um, Okay, I'm just going to, like, rattle them off. Let's see. Okay, (laughs) that's weird. Like, right in the top left-hand corner, that's usually, like, one of your prize, like, positions on, like, uh, so these pages have, like, what, three, six, nine uh, slots and then you usually standard do double standard card yeah. for like not as good cards you would do double sided because you yep. didn't care about the back or like a shadier yep. player but these are like the primo ones there's nothing on the back so you can always see exactly um, so the first name is Oleg Petrov. Yeah, talk to me about Oleg Petrov. Uh,
1: well, Oleg Petrov played for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, this one's from 1994. From
0: 94, he wasn't. God, it looks like it's from 1994. Look at the coloring.
1: Yeah, like purple and
0: green. Looks like it looks like in living color on the back of the TV it, show. It
1: reminds me of um, rollerblade colors.
0: I yeah, don't know yeah, why, absolutely. But yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah like that West colors. Coast,
1: like rollerblade. Cali- yeah, oh, yeah, California, West Coast. Oh, um, so anyway, um, Ole, yeah, Ole, I don't know why I traded for Petrov. I don't even know what <laughs> did I did. you think
0: he was going to be awesome? Maybe because I had a lot of players like that.
1: You know, he was part of Montreal. <laughs> uh, I don't know
0: why. Um, okay, but we'll, okay, we'll you got Marty McSorley? Um, which is awesome. He was the tough guy that protected Wayne Gretzky when they played on the Kings. And then who's right next to um, him? Wayne Gretzky and, sitting there protecting and, Wayne Gretzky from Oleg Petrov. But describe and then that, describe that Wayne Gretzky card. Um. Okay. So this is 1991. He's with the he's with the Kings and he's got his like signature Jofa uh helmet that little skull cap thing. But what is going on on the back? It's like what does that say? Like a s. M13? What is that? So that's a, yeah. So that's a special
1: Wayne Grexie card. There's no details on the back. It's a American Sports Monthly card. So these are insert Whoa. cards that come with uh, subscription packs to certain magazines.
0: Magazine, yeah, yeah. They throw in like the middle or something, right? And
1: how they're rated, so there's no number of them, but how they're rated is by the coloring of the border. So this is a gold uh, bordered uh, Grexy card. So that's like Primo or something? No, there's a platinum that, oh, okay. that goes above it. And there's a silver bronze. And then there's like a white and black borders that are kind of the more standard ones. Joe Corvill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Joe Corvill's so of the world. <laughs> what's interesting with these cards is that they end up not being um, traded in Beckett's. So they're like, you, you won't be able to find them in Beckett's. But when you go to a sports memorabilia shop, mm. If you have the addition of the magazine that they came in with mm. the card in mint condition, it is worth a lot of money.
0: It's like um, when you're at like selling antique toys, maybe, and then you have the original packaging; it like takes it to the next level. Right? Exactly.
1: So, you know, in my youth, of all I don't know fondness or or whatever, I uh, I decided to trade uh, for
0: for one of those, and then the. So, what are these like Puckmaster ones? Yeah, Puckmaster, so sorry. So the the Puck Masters uh, got uh, you got Eric Lindros, Sergei Fedorov, and Wayne Gretzky.
1: The Puck Masters were uh, a short-lived series. Uh, put out They it's the same sort of thing. They don't have um, serial numbers on the back. They have a very short bio of uh, of the players. I believe um, I don't even know who made these. I, I thought I did, and it's not written. I don't even know where they came from. There must be
0: a story behind them. But that's that's what makes them so valuable because they're so rare. Like, I've, I've never seen these. I've never seen all of these on here. And then, <laughs> it's so funny. And then two of the goalies on the bottom, uh, Mike Richter, who I absolutely hate because that was the team that, the Rangers who beat the Canucks in 93. So we hate Mike Richter. And then uh, Guy Hubert. Yeah. <laughs> like, did, Was that just because of the chicken place? St. You Bears? <laughs> Maybe. I never thought of that. I don't know. Um, and okay. And then the last
1: kind of card, uh, is the Art Ross Trophy Grexi card. Um, it's, uh, it's got like a
0: hologram on the front. Yeah, Yeah.
1: So it's a silver hologram, same sort of deal as, um, the American Sports Monthly magazine. Uh, these came out in gold, bronze, platinum. So this is the, uh, silver, uh, plated one. Um, it has a serial number. They were put out, I believe by Upper Deck. This is uh, AW one, so it's the very first um, in, in, in the series. Um, in 1996, oh, cool. it was only worth three dollars Canadian. So, like a, a card that looks neat, I traded for it. You know, I put a lot of value in it because yeah. it's in the the page. Yeah, of it's a hologram. Singles, it's Wayne hologram. Mm. Still not worth a mm. lot of cash monies. Or,
0: or like this, like there on the next page there's Theron Flurry, uh, Theo Flurry for the uh, Flames, and it's just like. So that's a pinnacle card. So this is pinnacle. Okay. So I remember pinnacle now, now that I'm seeing the logo and stuff and it's cool. It's like a hologram and there's like a winger behind them or something like trailing them. And it, it looks awesome on the back as well. Yeah. But then you just see all these like upper decks and they're just like generic. Yeah. The upper decks are pretty generic. Um, do it was more about like collecting the actual card itself than like the action shot in the front. Yeah. So, um, here's, um, oh. here's another one. Oh, this Curtis is, Joseph, bro. This is on
1: the same page yeah. as that pinnacle, uh, but it's Stardust and Stardust, Stardust. um, was yeah. Star quest. Sorry. Star quest. So upper deck in all their wisdom, I remember this story. They, they, they started, um, creating subsidiary kind of card categories. Um, so upper deck, obviously one of the bigger brand names in trading cards, so they started creating these uh, kind of categories of cards, I think in an attempt to diversify how people traded them. So Starquest was one of them, and, I, and I, I guess I acquired a pack of them at some, at some point. Um, they, they look kind of neat. These ones, same sort of deal. They're engraved uh, with a little insert, and the insert uh, follows either a gold, silver, platinum, or bronze color. These are the silver ones, so probably the lesser value ones. Um, but I remember, uh, some peers in, in school getting in their, in their decks, the really, really like, uh, like expensive, uh, Quest cards that were inserted with actual metal. So like. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So Could like. would you
0: feel for them? Like, would, would you go to the store and like, just like fondle no, like decks no, of cards? <laughs> this
1: is what Upper Deck has always done really well. Each pack is weighted. So when you buy a pack of Upper Deck's cards, you don't know how many are in the pack. Mm, So they can do like a thicker
0: card stock for some, and then they would give you like less of the thinner card stock. Exactly. So what
1: what ended up up happening was you would pick up a pack and you couldn't tell what was in it, but you would open it and you'd only see two cards and you'd freak out. Why am I only getting two cards? Oh, shit, there must be a nice card in here. You take it out and there'd be this card with metal insert in there that weighed more. Than just a card like a
0: cardboard card, right? That's cool. Like because um, pro sets, you would open it up. You'd be like, well, maybe there's that few players I need to complete, like the Hartford Whalers or whatever. Right, yeah. And I'm like, well, come on, Joe Cullen, right? Um, and but with Upper Deck, it was exciting opening them because you never knew what you're going to find in there. Um, what I love about Phil's collection, I've never really seen this many cards. Like when I was a little kid, when I was like 11, um, I had a Bury Red Army card. And I traded it for, like, five common cards because I was just dumb. I brain farted. But Phil's got, like, all these international players. So maybe you can find some of those pages in this binder. And I got a few loose ones in front of me. Um, He's got, like, what are these? Oh, OPG uh, cards from uh, Central Red Army. And, like, these are, they're all dated to around, like, between, like, 1980. 91, 92, 89, 90, that kind of years. Because when I was just getting into hockey, the Soviet Union was collapsing. So we got, um, in the 80s, we would have these defectors like the Stasny brothers uh, who played for the Nordique. Um, or... In the nineties early nineties we with the collapse of the Soviet Union, we had all these players from like uh Yugoslavia and um Russia and coming over and playing like the Czech Republic even um yeah, it was like an exciting time, and Phil's got these just pages after pages of these international players um like here pavel dmitra um who the hell is oh, who, who the hell is Brett? brent tully this was uh, 1993 from sweden apparently is that yeah that says sweden 1993 no man that's that's canada he was playing in the world juniors in sweden oh, oh, but world oh world sweden. juniors okay that oh, makes sense so okay. that guy just didn't make it man oh, we should right. yeah, beat sorry. up on him <laughs> sorry, tully. sorry bro oh we got manny legacy for team canada he was playing in the juniors look at his pets those are, are some small cheap ass pads so it was interesting like for me when we were kids and it still holds true now but each of these nations whether they were former soviet nations or like sweden and finland they all had their own styles of play right so like for me as a vancouver canucks fan when pavel Barre came over um we called him the russian rocket and we had never seen such a fast player like he kind of in some ways like redefined the forward position if that was even possible just with speed and the first few steps you know um so picking
1: up on that point of national kind of things i i flip the page and i see uh this is an upper deck collector's choice card of chris phillips and it is branded national heroes
0: uh, who <laughs> who is chris, it
1: chris phillips National heroes. National eh? heroes. Chris and, Phillips. Yeah. And wow. uh, I, I'm going to read the back because the, uh, the, it's kind of interesting. The Ottawa Senators' blue line core could soon be getting a boost with the addition of Phillips. The two-time World Juniors gold medalist was the first overall selection in the 1996 NHL entry draft. The language that is used in that card, so not only patriotic, nationalistic language, but the Ottawa Senators Corps, like they're talking of like a Corps Marines or Corps Army, like there's, there's just, you know, so much embedded in these hockey cards that goes beyond the sport. I find it fascinating to look back on these.
0: Okay. So here's another Senators player from just above Chris Phillips there. Um, Sergei Zoltok, and this is what it says on the back for him. Originally signed the free... Ottawa signed the free agent Zoltok in the summer of 1996. He was originally chosen by Boston, 55th overall in the 1992 entry draft. Played 25 games for the Bruins prior to joining the Senators. That's it. (laughs) uh, His his bio ends there. Yeah, quite a backstory. And, like, you can kind of... I don't know. It's just, like, you can tell who the um, hockey card manufacturers thought would be a good story. So, like, here's our um, um, here's our famous captain, Trevor Linden, uh, my wife's favorite player as a kid. Um, the C on Linden's jersey stands for consistency as well as captain. A knee injury in December 1996 forced him out of action for the first time since 1989-90, ending his consecutive game streak at 482 games. Trevor Linden. Wow. Yeah. It uh it definitely makes you want to see these players as heroes. Oh dude, Sean Burke at Jovanovsky. Oh Tommy Sallow. Can we talk about Tommy Sallow? Uh Do you remember sure, what happened to Tommy Sallow?
1: Um I don't know.
0: Oh, okay. So it was I believe it was the Olympics, right? And I don't, don't ask me which one. I think probably the 2002 one in Salt Lake. Yeah. Um so the Swedes, Tommy Sallow is their goalie. Uh we're playing Belarus. And the Belarusian winger just like dumped it in from the other side of the blue line. And it just sort of went under Tommy Salo's armpit, which is like, you know, it's very embarrassing, but you know, shit happens. Right. Um, But that was the end of his career and Belarus ended up winning that game and Tommy Salo's career was over. Like psychologically, he lost it.
1: So Tommy Salo being a goaltender.
0: Yeah. Tommy Salo's the goalie for Sweden. Yeah. And he just lost it. Wow. Yeah. And then he was like kind of out of hockey like this. Here he's playing for the Islanders. So this must have been one of the teams he went to after the Oilers, the Edmonton Oilers. So this was when his career was like dying. Wow. In this picture.
1: I've opened uh, up a second binder. Uh, This is the complete set or almost complete set, upper deck 1991, 1992. And Matt and I um, peeked at this earlier very interesting. So they're they're ordered uh, by card. Oh, uh, this was kind the of one like with the, one, two, three, yeah. all the way through. But the so um, let's just look at the first. So this is the set 1901-1992. Upper Deck decides to release these. The first
0: card, number one. Matt, can you? Uh, it's closer to you, but can you read that? <laughs> uh Dmitri Filimonov. Filimonov. Yeah, yeah and Filimonov. Uh, and what's the the number two card, right there? Um. Oh, Alexei Shamanov. And then this one? Uh Vladimir uh, Malikov. Yeah. Nineteen ninety one,
1: nineteen ninety two. Yeah.
0: Those are those are some good players, man. And um
1: there's some Russian um encryptions on the cards.
0: Yeah, yeah, Cyrillic is uh, written on the bottom, which is really interesting for an upper deck. Like, what is it, ninety one or ninety ninety one? Uh, is it
1: uh, this is ninety one ninety two? Ninety
0: one ninety two. So this was when the Russian like explosion happened in the NHL, and you can see upper deck here, like cashing in on the craze. Like, yeah. and every team had like a hot Russian player. Like, I think, did you guys have Markov? Was that who you guys got? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the Canucks had and uh, Igor Larionov. Yep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we can see here, uh, the so, Detroit Red Wings had Sergei Fedorov. You got that card.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll just continue. So that was card one, one through three. Uh, card four is Sergei Fedorov. Card five is um, Kovlov, Card yeah. six Kozlov. is Somak. Now, the first six cards in ninety one ninety two all carry the Cyrillic um, writing on the front. They're all uh, what I believe to be
0: Russian. Oh, these so, are the first six cards in the set of six the, n- the ninety one ninety two series. Yeah, now that's in- interesting. Now, interestingly, I've priced these.
1: Those six cards are price are worthless. There's really? like they're not even in the bucket. They're not traded. There's there's
0: nothing, dude. I'd pay you fifty bucks right now for those six.
1: <laughs> the seventh card in the set goes to Eric Lindros during the Canada Cup. Uh, it's worth about a quarter of what the entire set, completed set, is worth.
0: Really? That one card. Wow. Why do you think that is? I don't know. It, it, it's actually quite fascinating. Because so n- Eric Lindros got a great story. Like, he, he, his career was, like, hampered by multiple concussions. He was the first sort of, like, concussion case. So, like, with Eric Lindros, he was, like, big, but also a smooth skater, great hands, goal scorer, and tough. Um, And with him, it's always, like, what could have been. Yeah. And that's a good story in, in sports memorabilia collectibles, yeah. right? And then the next
1: card in the Canada Cup checklist, uh, interestingly,
0: Al McInnes. Oh, hardest slap shot. Yeah. And he's a Maritimer as well. Right? He was from PEI, wasn't he? I
1: uh, believe so. I believe so, yeah.
0: Yeah, he was like the only player from PEI. <laughs> yeah, he just had a cannon. He played for the uh Flames, he used to just blast shots by uh Captain Kirk and Clay all the time. <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, but
1: getting back to the way that, um, you know, there's, there. Uh, I'm going to speak a little academic a about this right now, but the ways in which things are classified, the system of classification or the ways in which uh, things are organized tells us a little bit about the mentalities or the structures that go into the thinking behind it, right? Um, so there's no classific- classificatory system that is just purely random, But in 1991, 1992, Upper Deck, arguably the largest creator of sports uh, collectibles and cards, decides to put the first six cards coming from old Soviet bloc territory.
0: And and it's interesting because it goes like – it goes Russia, then Canada, and then uh, the Czech Republic – or Czechoslovakia, I guess, at the time, but the Czech Republic. And then what is that – let's like see and then Sweden. oh and then Finland, Finland and then Sweden which is interesting because Sweden was a more successful team and then than the Finland. U.S. and then the U.S. which is where they belong at the bottom of the heap and that's it <laughs> and then it
1: gets into the regular um yeah the regular kind of um I guess those are sports. uh it all goes through the teams.
0: Oh, we have to talk about this Pavel Bure card where he's sitting on the rail. Anyone from back home, who's any of my buddies who are listening knows this card. He's sitting on a rail of like an LA beach. Like you just know he's about to go to Florida and leave us. And he's just wearing rollerblades and with these uh, like bright orange straps. And then on the back, he's holding the hockey stick and the three-point stance. Yeah, three-point stance. He got uh, lots of uh, gel in his
1: hair, his nice flowy hair. So anyway... Um, Matt, th- this is my hockey cards. I feel like we could go on for like three hours with this. Oh, we didn't even
0: scratch the surface. How yeah. about how about Whoa, we, how about we turn for this, a while? We have been. How about <laughs> we turn this into part one of hockey cards? Oh yeah, let's do part one of like twelve. <laughs> All right. Um,
1: okay, we want to hear what you thought of part one of the hockey card show on the the SimPod. Um, so let us know. You can get into contact with us on Twitter at the underscore sim underscore pod that's the sim pod. you can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com our website is the sim.podbean.com we're on itunes we're on stitcher we're on google play we're on all your podcatchers that you use just look for semi-intellectual musings give us some readings give us some reviews give us uh, your feedback on what you thought about this episode uh, what you want us to talk about in future episodes about hockey cards. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. And if we have any hockey card historians... Oh, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Historians yeah. of collectibles, yeah. uh, people who know more than us about the economics or behind-the-scenes of hockey cards, we'd love to hear from you. And we could uh, maybe set up uh, an, an interview together.
0: Yeah, that'd be really cool. All right. We'll be back after the break. Keep your head up.
1: Hold me close, me, my ear Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Matt and Phil here. We have a few recommendations for you. Uh, Matt, you want to kick us off?
0: Yeah, for sure. Kind of off the the wall here, but uh, I recommend the 2017 Stanley Cup playoffs.
1: As like a broad category?
0: Broad category, yeah. No, since the opening round, it's been fast. It's been violent. It's been high skill, uh, great goaltending, great defense, um, smart tactical plays. Like the teams play different styles. It's uh, it's honestly gotten me back into watching hockey.
1: It's been an interesting uh, series of events in the playoffs for, for sure. Mm-hmm. I had a bet going uh, mid-season that uh, the Leafs were going to make the playoffs. Uh, All I bet was... Oh, just make the playoffs? That's good. Oh, yeah, that's a good bet. Just get in uh, first round, and they did. Uh, Babcock uh, did an amazing job coaching that team to get them there this season.
0: Was that a money bet? It
1: was uh, beers with burgers and wings.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. That's uh, better than money sometimes. That's uh, the kind of bet that you cash in for the second round. Yeah, exactly. When everyone else's bets have, like, fallen through.
1: (laughs) Uh, Anything else you wanted to add to... uh, uh well no
0: it's the um it's the conference finals and uh both uh both sides. Like I don't even know how they the do it anymore in the NHL. They've switched it all up, but uh I recommend jumping in early and um I really liked what I saw out of Nashville and Nashville's fans. I uh I yeah. really um uh misread that city. That's a that's a hockey city now. It
1: is. They've made it into a, a yeah. good city. Um my recommendation um is a little bit different. It's a series of books. Um so I'm broadly interested in the um idea and the method of writing creative nonfiction. so that is um a way of telling a story a non uh, so a real story a nonfiction story but in um a genre or a narrative that is very appealing uh it tells bi- biographies it goes in depth it gives lots of uh detailed nuances kind of stuff and I fell into the genre by one person in particular, uh, his name is Lee Gutkin, uh, and he has a series of books. Um, One of them that I recommend is titled Keep It Real, Everything You You Need to Know About Researching and Writing Creative Nonfiction. Uh, So that's a good primer on the genre, how to go about doing it. Um, The other one, uh, again, by Gutkin is The Art of Creative Nonfiction, Writing and Selling the Literature of Reality. Uh, Another kind of good primer goes through a bunch of tips on how to do it. And then, um, he, he also publishes a, a couple other ones and one in particular that I like, he has some about nursing, uh, some about various professions, but one of them that, um, really resonated with me was at the end of life, true stories about how we die. And, um, it's an, it's edited by Lee Gutkin, but it's a series of stories uh, on death uh, in the genre of creative nonfiction. And if you're really digging, um, this sort of work and the, how to go about doing it, um, an edited collection by Karenine Forcher and Philip Girard, uh, includes some work by Lee Gutkin and a bunch of others. Uh, it's titled, uh, writing creative nonfiction instruction and insights from the teachers of the associated writing programs. And, um, you know, so that, that, that's kind of like a, if you want to get into it, know nothing about it. Uh, those would be four books that I, that, that I recommend.
0: And it's, uh, Lee, L-E-E. And the last name Gutkin is G-U-T-K-I-N-D. It's kind of a weird spelling. And then um, also he is the founder, apparently, based on the back of this book, uh, of a literary journal called Creative Nonfiction. So there's a whole journal based on this as well. Yeah. And their website is
1: great. It gives you lots of tips. It uh, gives you an overview of what's kind of hot in the genre right now. Um, and if you, if you want to get into Creative Nonfiction, maybe you're into Creative Nonfiction, um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you've watched the hockey series.
0: The Stanley Cup playoffs, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what they're called. Uh, we'd love to <laughs> hear <hockey> from... <laughs> the hockey matches.
1: Those games, that, the sports games that they play. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any recommendations for us, be they good, uh, be they bad, uh, be they, you know, uh, concerns, considerations that we should take in mind, please get a hold of us. Um, we're very open uh, to hearing from our listeners. You can do so uh, through Twitter, and we are at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. Our email is semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website, sim.podbean.com, We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, any other podcatchers that you may use. Search uh, semi-intellectual musings, and uh, we should come up. I think that's a wrap for, 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 for this episode, Matt. Yeah, it, it was really fun talking hockey
0: yeah it was, it was great I'm, I'm looking forward to more episodes on hockey yeah we're definitely going to do a yeah, part two yeah, of I that this is at least part one of many absolutely Yeah. Okay.
1: alright well thanks, thanks everyone for staying with us for listening we appreciate everyone's support for this show Matt and I have a have a really good time doing it
0: Yeah. Thank tell you th- your friends to download all yeah. my buddies back home tell everybody else to download download, rate, <laughs> download, and, review. rate and review send us a, a well worded uh, critique
1: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. See you next time, folks.
0: Check you later.